and all God's people said, I can't think of a more timely message for us and a more timely prayer than to ask the Lord to do those things in the coming year. That God's kingdom would come, that his glory would be revealed, that our lives would be focused on his mission and on his message and his love. I ask that you would invite, I invite you and ask that you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue in this chapter that is so gloriously rich as we look at the story of the coming of Jesus. And then we see some unique things in the second part or really toward the end of this chapter as we look together at quite a unique story in the Bible. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin today in verse 41. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual I want to emphasize those words or at least bring them to your attention your translation may say as was their custom but that's going to be important in a moment they attended the festival as usual after the celebration was over they started home for Nazareth but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem his parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all people. You may be seated, and may God bless this reading to our understanding, but more than that, to our daily lives. Church family, this is a unique story in the Bible for a couple of reasons. It's a unique story because this is the last story of Jesus' childhood. We enter into what is called the silent years of the life of Jesus. We know virtually nothing of the life of Jesus except for what verse 52 tells us from the age of 12 to the age of 30 when we see him baptized and begin his public ministry. From 12 to 30, we just know that he grew. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man and that's really all we have it's also unique in this this is the last time we see Joseph in scripture scholars believe that Joseph perhaps died somewhere in those years before Jesus public inauguration of his ministry we know that he was a vital part of the training and instruction in the life of Jesus all the way through obviously as an earthly father but we're going to see some unique things as we look at this last story of his childhood and I want to draw out some insights from this text that really fit with where we are and where we're going God makes no mistakes and as we planned out the sermon series these things just come together in an incredible way I really want to speak to those parents that are at home I know that many were not here because we did not have uh, our faith factory but I want to encourage you to grab a pen or maybe a, a piece of paper and jot down some thoughts about what we see here in this text and I want everybody that's here to really focus in because there's some remarkable lessons. Look back with me, if you will, at the text in verses 41 and 42. Very simple. It starts the narrative and says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival, as I said before, as usual or as was their custom. In fact, I want to put those four words on the screen. And I want you to maybe jot those down somewhere. As was their custom. Say those four words with me. As was their custom. What does this mean? What is this tradition or this custom? Well, 
you probably know from all of our Old Testament studies that Passover is a big deal. This is a huge celebration of God's deliverance of the people from the hand of Pharaoh and from slavery in Egypt. God gave them very clear instruction and said, if you'll follow me obediently, my judgment will pass over you and rest on the lamb that you kill. The blood will be placed on the door. Those homes will be protected. And it was a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. But God instituted an annual festival out of that. He said, every single year, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what I've done. God was serious about this annual festival in which the the focus would be remembering. I think it's a good thing for us to have reminders in our life. We were watching It's a Wonderful Life the other night, and Uncle Billy had strings tied to his finger. Oh, I should have remembered that. I forgot this. Well, sometimes we need some things to jog or jar our memory. Would you agree with that? Let me put that word remember up on the screen. Here's what it literally means. It means to put back together again. If I dismember something, it means I tear it apart. And for me to remember something means I put it back together, including a memory. I put back together a memory of an event that happened. And that's exactly what Passover is all about. He said, I want you to share a meal. I want you to focus in on what I did to deliver the people. Now, stay with me. This is very, very important. This idea of remembering or putting back an awareness of his faithfulness and his power and his presence. God was with them then. God faithfully showed up then. God did exactly what he said he was going to do then. And we need to remember that over and over again that God is that way. In fact, church family, three times a year, God called his people to leave their homes and come to Jerusalem for a festival or for uh, an event so that they could remember. The very first one of these was Passover. And then we go from Passover, they would come to Jerusalem from all throughout Judea. They would leave their home. All of the men were commanded to come. And then 50 days later, they would come back to Jerusalem for uh, not just Passover, but then Pentecost. And there at Pentecost, they would celebrate yet again around the temple. And then they would come back in the fall for the Feast of Tabernacles. We studied these last summer, had a great time looking at the Feast of the Lord from Leviticus 23. But the idea is, over and over again, you need to stop your regular routine and you need to come back to Jerusalem, come to the temple, make sacrifices, and remember the faithfulness of God, the power of God, and the promises of God. You and I would do well to put some things in our lives that would help us to keep up with and remember and be reminded of the faithfulness of God, the power of God, and the presence of God with us. You see, this is the last sermon in this series we've called the Christmas Promise. And the promise of Christmas that uh, supersedes all of the others. Yes, we've looked at byproducts. We've looked at hope and peace and joy that come from Christmas. But the true blessing and promise of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. The fact that God has come to dwell with us. And so here we see in these pilgrim festivals this idea that they would go back to worship and remember. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus went to Jerusalem because of the Passover to celebrate as their custom was. Pastor, why are you sharing this with me? Why are you going through all of these practices and customs of Jewish worship? Well, I'll tell you, the Christ of Christmas was a Jew. But more than that, you need to know that the Christ of Christmas was well-schooled and versed in a devout Jewish home in the things of God. His family customarily went for these festivals. I love that. In verse 42, they went as was their custom. I think it's important for you to see this wasn't a simple journey for them. They left Nazareth and made the trip downward. It could be five to seven days from Nazareth in the north down to Jerusalem, probably uh, roughly 90 miles of pathway that they would go. Let me show you a picture of the path they would have taken. This is kind of from Google Earth. They would have come down sort of the edge of a mountain range southward. They would have eased along into the Jordan Valley and then made their way back up to Jerusalem. Remember, we've talked about this. It doesn't matter even 
even if you're heading from north to south, you always go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was up on a plateau. And so you were ascending to Jerusalem. That's the trip that they made. And you need to know this. They didn't make this trip because they had to. They didn't make this trip because the Bible told them that they were demanded or commanded to. In fact, I know that because Mary is not commanded to go. She didn't have to. She went because of her desire to go. She went because of her longing to go. They wanted to be there. And the men were required. So I imagine that she went because of her devotion to God and her own pious nature. Three times a year, they made this 90-mile, six- or seven-day journey all the way down to Jerusalem. Write this down. I want to put something on the screen, and you need to get this. This is significant for where we're going next year. There is something fundamentally shaping in the marking of time according to what God has done and to his faithfulness. Let me say that again. There is something fundamentally shaping about marking time according to what God has done and his faithfulness. What I'm telling you is this, Christian, keep up with God's activity in your life. I believe that most people have anemic prayer life because they don't have an accurate, consistent record of answered prayers. You need to write down when God answered specific prayers, and then you can go back to it and say, look at that, God did this, look at this, God did this, because we forget. Over and over again, God called the people to remember because they would forget. But there's something shaping in our lives. It shapes our thinking. It shapes our families. It shapes our, our minds. When we take religious practice seriously, it shapes our hearts and our thinking. It is essential, not just to the practice of Judaism back in those days, but it's essential to the Christian life today. And moms and dads, I want to speak to you. We're going to see how their influence and impact in the life of Jesus shaped the environment in which he grew. Very, very important. What am I getting at through all of this? Pastor, I think a lot of things have been sadly lost today. I've heard people say, you know, Christianity's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I wholeheartedly and fundamentally agree with that. It is. God wants us to open space to him in our lives and our intellect and be able to dialogue and interact with him and to love him and to experience him. And all of that is true up to a point. But you need to know this. God is not just your buddy and he's not just your pal. He is God. And the religious side of it helps us to come to the place where how we relate to him is as important as the fact that we relate to him. You need to know this. We must rightly relate to God if we are to know him at all. God is God and we are not. Would you agree with that? He doesn't change because of the relationship. Jimmy, if you and I have a relationship and we hang out and we go drink coffee and we talk about drums and we talk about our common interests, I may change your mind about some things. You may change my mind. I will not change the mind of God. And we think somehow this open theistic idea that God just wants me to be his friend, we lose sight of the fact that there is something unique about pious religion. And it's not in a stodgy sense, but there's an order and a practice because God is God and I come to him and I learn from him that's why we come to church we don't come to church out of habit we don't come just to get a, a feel-good message we don't come just to get our our spiritual batteries recharged or our tank refilled no I hope that you come here to seek the presence of God marking time according to what God has done is fundamentally shaping in your life and I want to encourage you to pursue God with religious practice I want you to consider following after him see God commanded his people listen to this to mark everyday ordinary routine life by what he has done and by his faithfulness and those kind of practices ultimately get us to a place where they help us keep our head on straight in the middle of a world by the way that will do everything in its power to get you to forget what God has done 
The world tomorrow, when you go back to work, will try its very dead level best to get you to forget about the presence of God, to ignore the presence of God, to rush past the presence of God. And there's something significant about establishing a disciplined quiet time and saying, I'm going to sit still in this moment and I'm going to meet with the Lord so that as I go into the day, I remember his presence, I remember his power, and I remember what he has done. Am I making sense to anybody? Is that pretty clear? Those kind of practices keep us going because the world will press God out of your life. What does that mean for us today? I I wanna give you a very pointed statement and some of you are not gonna like this. Some of you that are at home, I I hope that you hear this. It's not about being physically in this room during this pandemic, but it's about making worship a priority. I, I learned this a long time ago and I still believe it's true. Let me say it. Your kids will judge the sincerity and the priority of your faith by the regularity and the consistency of your church attendance. Let that wash over you for a second. I know some of your grandparents, same thing happens. Your grandkids will judge the sincerity and the priority of your faith by the consistency and the regularity of your church. Well, you know, it's the holiday. We're gonna skip here or there. Well, we're going on vacation, so I think we probably just won't go this weekend. I'm not telling you you need to become legalistic about church attendance, but what I'm saying is the outward appearance of the regularity of saying God is priority makes a difference to your kids they see that they know that I've said this oftentimes before that that as a child there were times that we would go to church if we were traveling on vacation on various spots because that was God's time and we set that time aside now I realize that all time is God's time but there's something about gathering with the people of God and we've got parents in our church that have not made Sunday school a priority and I promise you you will reap trouble when you do that Get your kids under the word of God if you want the word of God to get in them and through them. Amen? Now you're saying, Pastor, we're here. I I get that. But, But when we were online, even at times when we were recording sermons, it was so easy for me to sit with my family and say, well, I'm gonna go to the kitchen and grab a cup of coffee or a donut or I'm gonna, and I was like, no. We need to focus ourselves in worship. So if you're at home today, focus and let God be the priority so that your kids see that this is God's time. Amen? And for all of us, we need to see this. Those two words gripped my heart. They went to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival as usual. It ought to be the exception, not the rule that you miss church. It ought to be the exception, not the rule that you miss Sunday school. It ought to be the exception that you don't say, we get to meet with God's people today. I don't got to go to church, I get to. (laughs) I don't got to read my Bible, I get to. And I promise you, if you don't instill that in your kids, they'll say, well, I gotta go to church and sooner or later, I don't think I'm gonna go to church. But if they see it as a privilege and a hunger and a desire, Mary and Joseph went there not because the word commanded it, but because they wanted to. I love that. Pastor Scott, you're saying that we ought to start celebrating the Passover because Jesus and his family did? No, not exactly. What I am saying, well, let me do this. There was an an author, a pastor, who probably summed this up better than I could. His name's Alan Culpepper. And I want to give you, it's a rather lengthy quote, but I want you to see this because this pierced my heart. You ready? The observance of religious requirements and rituals has fallen on hard times. Essential to Judaism is the praise of God in all life. The Jewish law taught that God was to be honored in one's rising up and lying down, in going out and coming in, in how one dressed and how and what one ate. But listen to these words. For many, religious practice is reduced to occasional church attendance and to the socially required ceremonies at births, weddings, and funerals. The marking of routine and ordinary time with any sense of ritual, uh, of conscious acts that recognize the sacredness of daily life and the presence of God with us is practically extinct. The result of this is that the ordinary and everyday experiences are impoverished with no room for the mystery of what God might be doing right here and right now in the ordinary moments of routine. Consequently, our lives are robbed of the meaning that comes from regularly remembering that God is with us. And catch this. 
Because there is no opening in our awareness to the transcendence of God intersecting our daily life, not because God is absent, but because we are too busy diddling on our iPhones to pay any attention. Ouch. I don't like what Culpepper said because it hits me squarely between the eyes and in the heart. How often do I spend my days ignoring the presence of God and God is with us. The promise of Christmas was Emmanuel, that Christ came from heaven and came to earth and gave us the opportunity to be in his presence. Before this, the Spirit rested on this person. The the Spirit visited this person. But no, we see that Christ has given the Holy Spirit after, excuse me, after Pentecost, we see the glory that the Spirit of God indwells us and we can live the Spirit-filled life consciously in tune to God in prayer and focused in a relationship like nothing else. And that goes to the heart of what I'm trying to tell you about moving forward next year. Jesus is beckoning, come, follow me. And some of us are sitting down here and he's walking away there. And I have to wonder if maybe we missed it because we were looking down. Parents, I want you to see the significance of this assessment Daily religious practice today doesn't look like it did for Mary and Joseph. You don't need to pack up in the car and go to some other city to worship like they did in the first century. But it does look like intentionally living in such a way that we open up space for God in the routine. What does that mean for you today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Maybe it just means pausing at the beginning of your day, at the very beginning of tomorrow, and inviting God into your conscious thought, inviting God into your decision-making process, making sure that you're aware of him. Maybe it's just pausing at the end of the day tomorrow and inviting God back into this place of thanking him for all of the blessings for that day. And maybe it's both. Aha. All the way back to Deuteronomy. When you rise up and when you lie down, when you go out and when you come in, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and teach these things to your kids and to future generations. God was on to something. God knew that we would forget. God knew that we would get busy and we would get distracted. And he said every single day, start your day and end your day with a God awareness so that you can follow. Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival as was their custom. I love that. What about pausing once a week just to specifically list out the blessings of God in your life that you experienced that week? What would it look like if you said, I'm going to read one psalm a day or I'm going to spend so much time every day in prayer? What what would it look like if you said, I'm going to commit myself to read through the Bible in 2021? I'm going to start and if I get behind, that's fine, but I'm going to read every day that I can. We've got Bible reading plans for you. We've got groups of people (coughs) that are gathering and studying together. We want to encourage you to put ritual into your life that will help open your life to a God awareness. I'm still on my text. They did this as was their custom. Pretty powerful. How about committing to Sunday school? What about doing what Family Forward says and setting goals as a family? These are simple spiritual goals and you'll see in the resources. I'm not gonna go through all of what this is about. It's very simple. You need to pray as a family and say, what are some goals that we need to set that would honor the Lord in 2021 and then follow through? And every time somebody's moving toward it, we've got some visible representation for your kids or your grandkids to drop something in a jar that you, and you can watch it grow. You can say, we're staying on track. If you're single, if you're not yet married or you're single again it doesn't matter where you are in life there's an opportunity for you to say I'm going to recalibrate my thinking in 2021 and I'm going to establish God as a priority and maybe it would be said about you that you were doing whatever it is that you were doing as usual as was your custom 
We need to celebrate the presence of God in the ordinary. We need to learn to greet the morning with gratitude and to celebrate the goodness of food and family and friendship at meals and to recognize the mystery and beauty and to mark rites of passage and to to love in a unique way. Pastor, are you saying I have to do all of these things to be a Christian? No, what I'm saying is if you're a Christian, you ought to order your life in such a way. It's like raising the sails of your boat and then praying that the Spirit of God would take you forward. Only God can move you forward. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. But if your sails are down and you're not expecting him, then I promise you when the wind of God's spirit blows, it's going to blow right by your family. I'm I'm sick and tired of of lax Christianity. I'm sick and tired of parents saying, well, you know what? We're responsible with our social drinking. Well, tell me that when your kids are in rehab. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that forbidding it. You're right, but it says it's a dangerous thing that'll drag you down. And I'm not trying to harp on one thing. What I'm saying is you better get crystal clear in your life in this time of pandemic when we're just kind of wavering and almost act like we've got a pass. Well, I don't necessarily have to go to church. I can stay in my pajamas. You're right, you can. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. Hello? And I'm preaching with passion because I see the custom of Mary and Joseph and showing the the, the desire of Jesus' life to grow into that kind of a, a person because of a family. He was in that environment. And we can't under uh, or overestimate the power of a godly family. I would just simply say it this way. When we mark everyday routine time against the backdrop of what God has done and the fact that God is with us, we begin to live with a greater God awareness. We'll live life more fully Christian than ever before when we do that. God is with us. Acknowledge it. God is with us. That's what we see when we're reading about this practice of the Holy Family. They attended as was their custom. Now, the final story of Jesus points us to a family devoted consistently. And here's what I would say to you. When we miss that idea of being devoted to following God consistently, maybe just maybe we begin to miss out on some of the the cargo that God wants to import into our lives through those practices. So let me ask you a question. And you can jot this question down. My sermon really is just two questions. Question number one, here it is. What regular practices will I begin to embrace? You can stop there. What regular practices will I begin to embrace? that will help me to remember what God has done and the great promise of Christmas that God, and you could say, with me. What are some things that you need to do differently? I'm not talking about resolutions. I'm not talking about just starting new habits. What I'm saying is there are some fundamental, disciplined, focused priorities that you can do as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a son or a daughter, as a grandparent, as a single adult. You need to take your time to say, God, what is it that would draw me closer to an awareness that you're with me every day? How many of you believe that God is with us? how many of us act like it every day all the time if I believe God was with me I probably wouldn't watch things that I watch or say things that I say or laugh at jokes that I laugh at or say things to people harshly I mean if God is with me then I'd pay attention to what I'm doing and thinking and saying right as I should I need to take captive every thought that is set up against the knowledge of Christ and I need to say God you love me so much that you came to earth for me and because of that I want to establish practices that will move me forward now again let me say this today on the way out please stop by the welcome center pick up uh, there they, we also have in the back at least the bible reading plans but there at the welcome center is all the family forward material stop by and pick that up because we need to be clear on what god is calling us to as he calls us to move forward throughout 2021 my prayer is really this that we would rise above the rules of religion and we would return to the purity of following christ 
I, I pray that we would get to the place where we hunger to pray. I, I would love to think that next Sunday morning, and by the way, next Sunday morning, I'll be at this altar at 8 a.m., and I'm going to pray for the service and pray for the Sunday school, and I would love for you to join me. We're going to get back to fanning out through this place. We did that for a long time, and we prayed over every pew. We want to continue to do those kinds of things, but I want to find ourselves covered in the dust of our Rabbi Jesus. I'm asking you to join me. Now, as we follow along, really, really quickly in this story, obviously this story is not just about those two words as usual, but that's just something we couldn't stumble past. Luke begins to shift the camera lens to really the the focus of the story. And I bet every parent here can resonate with this, a lost child. Anybody ever lost a child in a store? Anybody ever lost a child in, in some place? Any, anybody ever been lost as a child? Anybody ever been lost as a child in the Museum of Natural Science in Chicago in the, in the mid-70s? I'm not bitter about it. My sister walked off and left me. She was supposed to be watching me. I got back to the hotel after, I, I don't know, it seemed like two or three days that I was missing. I think it was about six minutes. I mean, it just wasn't that long. But they found me and I got the worst whipping of my life and I stayed attached to my father at the hip the rest of that vacation. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Now, there's a little difference here. Jesus is 12 and by 12 years old, you're practically ready to marry in Jewish custom. So he's moved on up closer to adulthood. They would caravan with 50 or 60 people. And so it would not be uncommon for us to make this six or seven day trip back from Jerusalem, back up to Nazareth and and to just assume that he's running around with the 12 year old boys. After all, he doesn't want to be with his parents. He doesn't want to be around all the adults. So he's running around and they set up camp that night and all of a sudden they get to looking around. They're going to have dinner that night and Jesus is nowhere to be found I don't know if Mary let out a blood curdling scream I don't know if she began to wring her hands and cry I don't know if she put her hands on her hip and said Joseph I kind of tend to think that she may have now I I get it I don't want to throw Joseph under the bus but I can understand I mean distractions happen he may have been checking the oil on the camel he he may have been putting the the luggage rack on the donkey ride he may have stopped and checked the you know checked the scores of the the chariot races of that day I don't know what he was doing but Jesus wasn't on the radar Jesus may have even checked in and said hey I'm going to go run with my friends and he said yeah go and he let him go well they get to this place and you would think well why didn't they just turn around right then they're a day's journey away and it says that they lost him for three days so think about this they went a day's journey away this is a day long before street lights and highway patrol they weren't about to get back on the trail at night and travel they, they could have certainly not navigated their way or potentially and they probably would have been robbed or killed and so they had to wait till first light I imagine they got no sleep that night they waited and they paced and at the break of sunshine coming across the plains they took off and they headed back for Jerusalem so one day there one day back and now maybe a day of searching but they come to the temple and they find him verse 46 Three days later, they discovered, finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents don't, uh, didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? I bet he got, I don't even know Jesus' middle name, but I bet he got the full name treatment. There were times that I got lost or I did something, and I don't mean pedestrian offenses, I mean sure enough something, and I was Lawrence Scott, I mean just immediately. And if I was ever Lawrence Scott Hanbury, I knew I was, you know, furious coming. Judgment draweth nigh. I can't tell you how many times in my life I was Lawrence Scott. It happens. Jesus, what are you doing? Why have you done this to us? And he said, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, Joseph didn't step in here and go, boy, (laughs) you know. No, Joseph and Mary knew. Joseph and Mary knew the truth. That on his mother's side, he was 12 years old. But on his father's side, he was the ancient of days. 
He, he may have looked like his mama in some ways. He may have had her beautiful olive complexion uh, from that area of Nazareth, but you better understand that he looked like his heavenly father. And here he taught with authority, even as a 12-year-old, because he was fully God and fully man. And when he said, I must be in my father's house, nobody spoke that way about the temple. Nobody spoke that way. He was claiming to be God. He was saying, I have come for this purpose. You didn't need to worry about me. I didn't slip away from you. I'm right where God wants me to be because my father has business for me to do. And the next time we see Jesus, it's a beautiful picture because it's in the presence of his father at his baptism when the father speaks and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and the spirit of God descends on him. One of the only places uniquely that we see the Trinity all in one passage of scripture imagine the terror and the panic that Mary felt though for her to say son why did you do this to us I just have to believe in my sanctified imagination that that took her back to terror and panic and uncertainty from 12 years before when an angel showed up on her doorstep and said to this precious little virgin teenager you're about to have a baby and her heart must have skipped a beat and then it must have beat fast as she thought about all the uncertainty of her future. Gabriel comes and gives her the news of a baby and she says, I know I've never been with a man. How can this be? The uncertainty of her future that she would sit down with her parents and say, I'm gonna be an unwed mother. It's gonna be an out of wedlock situation. What about the horrific prospect of sitting down with her betrothed, her beloved, and saying to Joseph, I'm pregnant telling him that she was pregnant, fully aware that in that culture, this was not just an embarrassment, but a crime. A crime punishable by death. You want to talk about uncertainty and panic? Not just losing Jesus and, and finding him three days later. Not just hearing that kind of, of talk come. What about the uncertainty at two when the Magi showed up? Perhaps a delegation of a hundred or more that showed up from the east and they bowed down to worship this child of hers and told her that Herod, in his bloodthirsty monarch way, had decreed that all the babies would be killed. And they scooped up their family and they fled to Egypt. They flee to North Africa. Can you imagine the fear and uncertainty? Moms, if you're here today, can you imagine the fear if somebody was gunning for one of your children? Mama bears popping out, right? They fled because this was a king and they were just a poor little family from a nowhere town called Nazareth. This, this wasn't the first time she'd felt uncertainty or panic and it wouldn't be the last. You need to know that 21 years after this event at 12, this little boy that was gone for three days became a man who was gone for three days. Except the pain of this one was so much deeper because she knew exactly where he was. She had stood at the foot of the cross as he was killed. And he was taken down and he was placed in a borrowed tomb and for three days tucked away. Can you imagine as she faces the most painful experience perhaps of human life, the loss of a child? It's a pain that some of you in this room and that are watching us have experienced. There were other times that these things happened. At eight days, just a little prior, uh, prior to our text, a little bit before that, they brought him to the temple and Simeon pronounced a blessing over him. He said these words, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And he looks at Mary and he says, and a sword will pierce your very soul. It was a foreshadowing, a prophecy that her heart would be broken by a cruel Roman cross. Well, as I think about all of those things coming together, parenting, that, that's not the, the main focus here, but parenting is a hard, no guarantees experience in life. Would you agree with that? 
When our kids are at home, it requires a depth of love and sacrifice. It it requires a a sense of patience that's unrivaled in any other human relationship. And it doesn't stop when they leave our house. Even when they're grown and gone, you still have this deep, unending love for them. And once you're a parent, you're never not a parent. I mean, it's just there. But there's no guarantees that they'll reciprocate it. They may spit in your face. They may, like the prodigal, say, give me what's mine. I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. Maybe this is why God revealed himself to us as a heavenly father. I'm going to draw this to a close because I want you to understand it. It's so universal. He is the only perfect parent. And here Jesus said, I must be in my father's house. I I think part of the reason that we hold Mary in such high regard is because she is such an exemplary picture of and a reflection of God's love put into practice. Her heart was broken over and over again for this child. Her heart was filled with a sense of anxiety and worry and pain. Now, that's not the case for God the Father. He knew what he was doing. He sent Christ and Christ willingly came. But she demonstrated the risk of self-giving love and parenting. So let me ask you question number two. What cues do I need to take from Mary about loving other people? in the coming year not just as a parent or as a grandparent whatever lot in life you're in can you look at Mary and begin to do these two things you ready how do we take cues how do we love other people you ready number one we trust God she trusted the Lord from day one God I could be killed for this announcement God's with you fear not I'll trust him And she walked through the process of all the rest of her days in raising Jesus and she trusted the Lord. And for you and for me, we need to come to that place. If we're gonna love people, if we're gonna move our families forward, if we're gonna follow in the dust of our rabbi, then you and I just, we need to simply trust him. Because it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. It's not always the short road or the, the most convenient road, but we need to trust him. Number two, we need to be intentional sacrificial love no matter the outcome you have the awesome responsibility to give yourself away and for some of us that have or are are currently walking with kids we need to understand that Christmas is the greatest gift because of this because God says I'm with you even through the process of parenting I'm with you I'll walk with you the mother of Jesus on more than one occasion lived exactly where you are and God saw her through it some people say we don't need to hear, or some people say that we don't hear from Jesus again till he was 30 uh, for a specific reason. Some say that's how long Mary grounded him for pulling the stunt that he just pulled. And we don't see him emerge again for another 28 years or whatever it is, or, or 18 years. But I want you to see this. Verse 49. Jesus asked, why did you need to search for me didn't you know that I must be in my father's house and again that claim is so powerful that that he was claiming to be God now John uses a very beautiful word and I promise you this is where we 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 close John used a very powerful word begotten and we have used that word in human terms to mean offspring but it means little to do with that in the Greek rendition it literally means that he is of the same that he is the one and only son of God. It doesn't mean that he was created at some point. No, again, his creation didn't start at Bethlehem. Jesus Christ was never, ever not. He is eternally co-equal with the Father and uh, co-eternal with the Father. We need to know that about him. He has always existed. He is not a created savior. He is God. And he was claiming that here. He said, I must be in my father's house. Why? Because that is who I am. The only begotten. God is not confined in the incarnation of Jesus, but God is defined by the incarnation of Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. I bring this all to to a final close just to simply say this. And our invitation is going to be unique. We're we're just going to let you scatter out. We're not calling people to the altar. We're not even going to sing this morning. We're just going to wrap this up. Are you prepared, willing, 
at least open to saying, yes, Lord, today I want to follow you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you prayed a prayer a long time ago. But following Jesus is radically different than just calling yourself a Christian. Following Jesus means you're going to reorient the way that you think and the way that you spend money and the way that you speak to people and the places you go and the things you do. It may be that you forego a vacation next year and say, I'm going on a mission trip. It may be that you uh, forego a vacation and give money so somebody else can go on a mission trip. It may be that you say, I'm going to get up a little earlier and read through Scripture every day. Or I'm going to come and meet the pastor and others at 8 a.m. and pray or I'm going to join a small group or Sunday school or I'm going to teach one or lead one or I'm going to open myself up to be trained I'm going to be invested in or I'm going to sing in the choir I'm going to follow Jesus that's my appeal to a flock of people with unique talents and gifts and backgrounds that God would take Hardy Street Baptist Church and our humble offering to say we will give ourselves to you. We will begin to take on practices that would remind us of the power and the presence of God. And we would take cues of sacrificial loving from a mother who trusted God and was intentional in everything that she did. Amen?